Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiefman. It's great to be with you here today. And of course, firstly, we want to talk about just our general senior citizens programs at Chabad House that are ongoing. And indeed, our doors are closed, but our hearts and souls are open and echoing what Chabad House offers what Chai FM is offering the community. Actually, we've joined forces in reaching out to elderly people who need any type of counseling or discussions, and we're here for you. We're here for the entire community. And just to let you know, if you do need at any time to talk with anyone, you are welcome to call in here to the Chai FM helpline with a check-in service, and the counselors are able to speak with you you could check in. They could check in with you, make sure you're okay. It's available to anyone of any age. The coordination with Chabad House is for senior citizens, but anyone who feels they need it. Make contact with us by calling the Chai FM helpline on 0800-2424-36. Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of serving the community. Now, usually at Chabad House, we offer our shiurim for everyone in the community, and I am the one who coordinates the programs for the elderly. So I would like to right now continue exactly that, especially since tonight is a very special holiday. And I just want to talk a little bit about it because we know that our Jewish calendar is filled with very many days of note. And some are biblical holidays, others are rabbinical holidays, many are not holidays per se, but they're days of significance, of importance. And if you actually tally all those days together, you'll realize that there are approximately 65 significant days in the course of the year. And a friend of mine is a principal of the school. We're not talking about during the COVID-19 period, just year-round, mentioned to me that what's fascinating is that there are more days off school than in school. Because if you calculate all the days of the year, okay, let's start with from the secular calendar. How many public holidays are there? And weekends off school, no Saturday, Sunday school, right? And then in the United States, where this friend of mine is, there's then a 10-week break for summer vacation. There's more days off school than in school. The Jewish calendar might not have as many, but if you're going to calculate all of the fast days, which are six, Rosh Chodesh, there's a minimum of 12. There's probably more like 16 to 18, Rosh, about 18 Rosh Chodesh days of the year. And if you calculate Tubishvat, and Tuba'av, and Erev Pesach, and you include then other significant holidays on our calendar, you are going to realize that there are very many holidays, at least five and a half days a month. I'm not even including Shabbos. So we're always either gearing up for a Jewish day of note, enjoying one, or basking in the afterglow. And this weekend is no different. Now, some of the dates are better known than others, right? We talk about Pesach is quite renowned, but tonight is also a holiday. Pesach Sheni, the second Pesach. But not everybody is as familiar with it. So under ordinary conditions, our busy stream of life and our hectic schedule might get in the way of celebrating what might be considered a minor holiday, such as tonight's festival. But this year, I think that we, as we spend so much time in isolation, whether it's at home, for most of us, 
then we have more opportunity to focus on these important days that might have otherwise just passed us by. The purpose of today's show, I want to talk about that this is an important Yom Tov, and it should not be in any way ignored. So today is 30 days from, well actually tonight will be 30 days from our first Pesach Seder. And that's why it's called Pesach Sheni, the second Passover. Now what is this festival all about? Why is it necessary to have a second Pesach? Usually in my seniors club we would talk about it. Now we do this on our Zoom shears and today we'll discuss it here on Chai FM. And of course the obvious question is, isn't one Pesach enough? All the cleaning and cooking and preparations that you have to do, and especially if this year you didn't make it to our Pesach retreat. So let's just talk a little bit of the history. You see, on the night before the exodus from Egypt, God instructed the Jewish people to enjoy a special kind of meal. They were to slaughter a sheep, roast it on a spit, and eat the roasted meat for dinner. Doesn't that sound delicious? That was the first ever carbon Pesach or Pascha lamb. They were famously told to collect the blood from the sheep and they were going to paint it on the doorpost and lintels of their home. They were told to eat the lamb at home and not to leave their homes until the next morning. And when they came from their homes in the morning, there was a major panic that the Egyptians were begging the Jews to leave because of the major plague pandemic that was happening at the time. Every firstborn in Egypt had died. That was the 10th plague, except for Pharaoh himself and, of course, the Jewish firstborns who were protected by observing this commandment of God. The Egyptian neighbors, they offered them anything that whatever it would take, bribe them, just go, leave Egypt. We don't need more of these plagues that were that were devastating the country. And the Jews spent the morning collecting valuables from their Egyptian neighbors. Most Egyptians were happy to give the Jews anything they asked for. Of course, they had their uh, remorse for that seven days later. But some, just whatever it takes, get out of our way. And at the stroke of midnight, that's when the Jews left the mass, each with an abundance of their material. Not midnight, excuse me. Thank you for that correction. It's good to be live. Someone just correct. Midday. Yes, it was a broad daylight. That's when they left and everyone had an abundance of all the material possessions, all the goods of the Egyptians, everything. And they left Egypt very, very wealthy. Of course, the narrative story continues in Exodus. You want to follow um, in in the Chumash. You could also find it uh, concisely in, in the book of Bamidbar, chapter 10. When God instructed Moshe on the Korban Pesach dinner, Hashem mentioned that this would be an annual ritual on the first night of Pesach, but only after the Jews would enter Israel. So no one expected to bring the Korban Pesach when they were in the desert. And the Torah describes this, that the Jews were expected to enter Israel, we know, Immediately, it wasn't going to be a 40-year journey. 
That only was because of the incident, the sin of the golden calf, and more so exacerbated when they were they were doomed because of the story of the spies who came back with a negative report about the land. So over the course of that year, many things happened. Of course, we received the Torah on Mount Sinai. In three weeks' time, we'll be celebrating Shavuos, commemorating that event. Then they worshipped the golden calf, and it took Moshe three months to secure forgiveness for us. Then we built the tabernacle, the Mishkan, until ultimately they were up to the first anniversary of the Exodus. And that's when, if you read in Bamidbar, in Numbers chapter 10, the story of where they get the instruction from God about offering the second option, the Korban Pesach. And that's when God says, it was the first month and the second of the, in the second year from the exodus from the land of Egypt, Hashem said that they should bring the Korban Pesach at the appointed time. Bring it at the afternoon of the 14th of this month, which is the anniversary of the exodus. If you're reading it in the text inside your Chumash, Moshe instructs the B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, to bring the Korban Pesach. They brought the Korban Pesach in the Sinai Desert and the problem was there were certain people who couldn't participate. Why? You'll find out just now. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. Rabbi Ari Kivan here. We're discussing Pesach Sheni. And for me personally, this is a favorite topic because the theme of it is it is never too late. Before our ad break, I was reading to you the biblical verses in the book of Bamidbar, where Hashem instructs the Jewish people after the first anniversary. They weren't expecting to bring another carbon Pesach that year because they were only supposed to do it when getting to Israel. But God surprised them and told them to bring one. That's the verse in Numbers chapter 10. And it's fascinating that this was the only time that they brought the carbon Pesach actually in the desert. They were never again instructed to do it until they actually entered the land of Israel. So, why did God make this rather unexpected exception? When God provided the instructions for the Korban Pesach, for the Paschal Lamb, God instructed that apostates, people who worshipped idols, are not permitted to participate in offering the Korban Pesach. Now, as I mentioned, the first Pesach in the desert occurred after the Jews worshipped the golden calf. And though God already informed Moshe that he had given their sin, God had forgiven them, right? That was the building of the tabernacle and the carbon, and the sacrifices that people would bring. But nevertheless, the Jews did not know whether their status as idol worshippers was lifted because whoever participated in the worshipping a golden calf, was thereby actually being part of this idol worship and therefore would be considered an apostate. So the proof of this would only come if they were permitted to bring the Karbam Pesach offering that is actually forbidden to idol worshippers. The fact that God gave this instruction on the first anniversary that we left Egypt gave them that realization that indeed they were fully forgiven. 
rather than make them wait and be anxious for those 40 years till they would come to Israel, God made an exception and allowed them to bring the carbon Pesach that year, thereby demonstrating that they were actually forgiven for the sin of the golden calf. Now, some Jews, as I mentioned before, were not able to participate in that offering on the first anniversary. Why? Because they were in a state of ritual impurity. Now, how does one become ritually impure? One of the ways is coming in contact with a corpse, with a dead body. And by Jewish law, that makes a person ritually impure. Now, who are these Jews and how do they come in contact with the dead? So, I'm not sure if there was actual burial. Maybe there were people who were dying in the desert, right? It could be that there were community members. But I don't know that that's the case, that people were dying. In fact, there were two censuses that were taken of the Jews that year. One was taken six months earlier, and the other one would be taken two weeks after Pesach. And they actually match up perfectly. So I don't think there were actually people who died during this period. In fact, Rashi discusses this. So how did they come in contact with the dead? So our sages, and this is discussed in the Gemara Sukkah, offer different opinions. One is Rabbi Yossi Haglili, one of the great sages. He says that it was those who carried Atzmat Yosef, the Joseph's casket. Rabbi Akiva says it was Mishal and Militzafan, just these two individuals who Moshe instructed them to remove the remains of Aaron's sons, Nadav and Aviyu. Another opinion of the Gemara's Rabbi Yitzchak, who says that either group would have actually had plenty of time to become tar purified between the last time they touched Joseph's casket during this journey, or Nadav and Aviyu's remains, and the carbon Pesach. So therefore, he says, perhaps it was a mess mitzvah, which is somebody who dies and there's no one to take care of. I've got a fascinating story to share with you about that, actually. In New York, recently, just before Pesach, there was an elderly gentleman, actually a Holocaust survivor, who passed away. And his family was devastated. What a gentleman, a person who really lived a meaningful life. And unfortunately, he passed away during this coronavirus pandemic. The family was all the more so sad that he couldn't get a dignified, respectable funeral that he really deserved. Only the immediate family were able to come to the chapel to be part of this. And it was very busy. They said that to Helen, they did the funeral service. They said what they had to do. And when they were nearly concluded... One of the gentlemen from the Hebra Kadisha came back apologizing that they have to do it all over again because they just realized the mistake. They took out the wrong casket. Imagine how humiliated the family felt that really you made such a bizarre mistake. You gave us the wrong one, but now they see the casket with their father's name on it. Obviously being so overwhelmed, the Hebra Kadisha there made a mistake and they took the wrong casket out. But they found out something fascinating. The person who they buried before their father 
was actually a mess mitzvah. An individual Jew who nobody knew, who had no family to look after that person, and they were able, in their father's merit, to bring a dignified burial to a person who otherwise would not have it. It's a concept called hashkacha practice, divine providence. And if we just pay attention in our lives, we'll see so much of that that actually happens. Back to our discussion about the carbon Pesach. We know the law is people in a state of impurity are not permitted to offer a sacrifice. They're not allowed to be involved in any ritual matters that would happen in the temple or the tabernacle in those days for seven days, during which time they would perform a purification process. So seven days had obviously not passed for those particular individuals I mentioned that the Gemara discusses, and they were still in a state of ritual impurity. So knowing that they weren't allowed to bring the Korban Pesach at its designated time, these people came to Moshe Rabbeinu with a complaint. They said these famous words, Lama Nigara. Why should they be excluded while everyone else, the entire Jewish nation, gets to be part of the Korban Pesach offering? Good complaint. Valid point. Well, that's an important question. They knew why they were excluded. There was a reason for it. They were impure. Why did they ask why they're excluded? Why did they have to ask Moshe Lomanigar why? What made them think that they should be included? If they had a reason for being included, why didn't they tell Moshe? When you take a closer look at this discussion, at the biblical words of their complaint to Moshe, they said, why should we be excluded from bringing the, the offering to God in its appointed time, along with the rest of the B'nai Yisrael. Their argument was, had we been people who regard ourselves as just individuals who, you know, we, we we expected to be judged on our individual merits, well, maybe it's true, we're impure, and we understand why we're not, why we're being excluded, why we can't be part of this. But that's not the case. They were saying we see ourselves very much connected to the community. So then, why are we not part of this? And, in fact, an argument can be made that since they took part in this significant mitzvah of looking after the dead, which is actually an obligation on the entire community, then they're very... Impurity was an extension of the community, not themselves as individuals per se. They were impure because they buried a fellow who everyone had the responsibility. That's the definition of a mass mitzvah. Everyone is part of, everyone has that obligation. So if they were representatives of the community, they should be considered as part of the community. And that was their question to Moshe. Why are we not part of this community? And I think that's a very important and powerful lesson for us. The fact that God accepted their rational, their reason, and granted the request tells us that when we include ourselves in the larger community, God treats us accordingly. God doesn't look at our individual faults. Rather, God sees us, ah, you're part of the community. And that's what we learn in Pirkei Avot, where a person should not separate. 
it's irrelevant whether we deserve or not because we're part of the community. Only when we isolate ourselves from the community is when God all of a sudden scrutinizes us to see indeed, are we deserving? Are we entitled? And I think this has a tremendous relevance to us now that you see half the world's population is in quarantine and isolation. So while you might be sitting at home, isolated from the community, that's when we have to actually make an extra effort to act, to really remain connected. As I said multiple times on this show, physical distancing makes sense, not social distancing. We can't allow ourselves to forget about our friends, our neighbors, our family. We're all part of a collective. We're in this together. If we treat ourselves as individuals, then we might be seen as individuals alone based on our own merits. But if we treat ourselves as members of the greater community, God will view us according to that perspective and hopefully grant us the privileges that God grants a community. So Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses realized that this was a tremendous, beautiful lesson, a message. And that's why Moshe says, you know something? You have a good, valid point. Stand by. Let me bring this perspective. Let me share this. Let me ask God what God thinks, what what God's response is. You know, there's a, Shem, a story of the Baal Shem Tov because he loved to daven. He loved to spend time engrossed in prayer. Spoke about it in our previous shows about prayer. And his congregants would usually wait. They would wait around the Hasidim to see how he's davening. And then they would go home once he was done. But one day, a lot of the people were hungry. So many of them went home, they ate lunch, and they figured they'll come back to the shul, and they could see the Baal Shem Tov still engaged, engrossed in his prayers. But to their astonishment, when they came back to shul, they see the rabbi's done, the Baal Shem Tov finished davening. So they asked him, why is it that usually when we're around, it takes you a long time, this time we leave and you're done so quick? So he answered them with a parable, a metaphor. He said, once the townspeople wanted to capture a beautiful bird that was nesting on top of a tree. And no one could reach that high. So what did they do? They built a human pyramid of each person climbing on top of each other until they were able to reach that bird. Now, suppose the person at the bottom of this pyramid decided, you know, I'm tired. I'm going to step outside. What would happen? Not only would the one at the top of the tree fail to reach the on the top of the pyramid not be able to reach the beautiful bird that they wanted to see but they would all collapse said the Balshemta the same applies to my prayers when I daven and reach for the heavenly heights the only reason I'm succeeding is because I'm standing with you when you stepped away the whole pyramid fell apart so I couldn't reach that objective, and I just finished my davening. And one of his students, Rav Aaron of Kalin, he said that this is exactly what Moshe meant when he said, stand by, I'll hear what God instructs me to tell you. I'll only hear God's reply if you stand by. If you walk away, then 
I won't be able to get that divine response. It's all intertwined. And of course, we know God's response was, okay, give him another chance. And that's why a makeup date was set for exactly one month afterwards. And that brings another question. Excuse my digressions. Although they felt themselves to be an integral part of the community, why did God make such an unprecedented exclusion for them? Why did they have a second chance? We don't see, I don't think, any other cases in Torah. There are lots of Jews that feel connected to the community, but they're not given uh, another opportunity to make up whatever their obligation or responsibilities are. I think this is the, in, the only one that I could think of. Now, yes, there are, there is a concept of Yemei Tashlumim, which is where people could make up, uh, the various sacrifices for the festivals. But I think this is the only case. You know, if you miss celebrating Shabbos, Yom Kippur, Hanukkah, can you do another Hanukkah? <laughs> the only one is Pesach. Why? Why did they deserve this makeup date? And the answer is interesting. Very simple. It's because they asked. You know, there's a famous tower in Chicago, Illinois, called, used to be called Sears Tower. And do you know that recently, a couple of years ago, it was renamed to Willis Tower. And I was reading an article about how did it get the rename. And to tell you the story in short, very, very simple. When Sears Tower was experiencing major vacancies, and I'm sure many buildings here in our CBDs are going to be experiencing Unfortunately, as a result of the current circumstances, Mr. Willis, who has a big business, I think an insurance company, and I'm not sure exactly what, he was negotiating with owners of Sears Tower to be occupying a significant amount of that building. And as part of his contract, he just asked if he can have the naming rights instead of it being called Sears Tower. It could be called Willis Tower. Give his company some prominence. He was once being interviewed on a TV show, and they asked him, how did you get them to rename the building to your name? And his answer was simple. I asked. And I just think that is what happened here. The Jews asked, why should we be excluded? When you ask, when you demand something from God, from genuinely, sincerely, when we yearn for it with every fiber of our being, God actually steps in and provides. And previously we discussed that unfortunately not always do we get an answer we want because God knows what's best for us. But here is where we see that these people, they asked, and God granted their request. We'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And we are here live on Soul to Soul talking about the significance of Pesach Sheni. You just think about, no matter how important and busy a parent might be, there's always space. We always have to make the space, hopefully, for our children's requests. No matter how busy we are, no matter how big our company might be, a, a person might be the busiest 
business person in the world. And it takes weeks to get an appointment with them. When you finally get to see them, all they could give you is a minute of their time. But what if their distraught child calls? They put everything aside, like I said, hopefully, and give time, respond to the child. We are God's children. And when a child is distraught and begs from the depths of their heart, God sets aside all considerations. God grants us what we ask for. And this is exactly what happened in the case of Pesach Shani. Is that these people couldn't participate. They were restricted by God-made laws. The Torah forbids bringing a sacrifice when one is in a state of ritual impurity. But the people cried out to God and God listened. God said, all right, you have it. And what's interesting is that only Pesach has a makeup date because biblically, don't see anywhere else where the people asked for another option. We don't see any other mitzvah where people asked for a makeup opportunity. Maybe if someone would have asked for one, maybe we would have had other holidays also with a makeup date. I think we can learn an important lesson for us as well. Sometimes there are mitzvahs that we must do, but we find ourselves unable to do them because of particular circumstances. Think about parent who's forced to work at night and can't help the child with their homework, or uh, a mother's overwhelmed and doesn't have enough energy and patience for for prayer, whatever it might be. What should they do? Well, this holiday of Pesach Shani teaches us that if there's a mitzvah that we cannot do due to whatever circumstances, then we have to ask God. We have to plead from the depths of our hearts. And God will find a way to make it happen. Help will arrive from the most unexpected of places. Like the story I said before, a person died and had a beauty, had, considering the circumstances, the best funeral possible. God gives an answer. God has a way to do it. When you think about right now, the spread of coronavirus, the distancing, the social distancing, the tension that it brings sometimes in homes where children are being raised, they're all home. And what happens? Families all together. It's not unreasonable to feel that sometimes we're at the end of the rope. I could say, as one who's involved with seniors programs for older people, especially who don't have children at home, figuring out, I hear this every day, people talking to me. How are they going to get by? What are they going to do? What about their shopping if they're quarantined? What about cleaning the house? What about medications that they need from the chemist? So, we shouldn't underestimate the power of prayer. God listens. And I have to say, as a community organization here at Chabad House, we have volunteers who are able to assist. God has answers. And if there's a problem that we haven't thought of, we could think of creative ways of helping people in need. So, of course, in today's isolation and lockdown, we can't gather together in shul. So there's no shul and there's no Torah shul and the doors of the shul's closed. And it seems 
very precarious. Our shuls, we can't go, but we shouldn't be complacent. Yes, we can't be in shul and we can't daven together and we can't have Kaddish, we can't have a minion, but we could cry out to God. Lama Nigara, I could speak as one who's in mourning this year and can't say Kaddish at the moment. Why should we not be able to offer our prayers? Why can we, why can't we, why can't I as an individual say Kaddish for my father? And I know God's listening. At the moment, that's the call of the hour. Sometimes we get cynical and think, God doesn't pay attention to our prayers. And that whatever it is, whatever improvements maybe happen on their own, whether God's listening or not. This story of Pesach Sheni that we're celebrating tonight reminds us that God is personal. To Him, we aren't just faceless, nameless beings. We are God's dear children, and God does pay attention to each and every one of us. If we cry out authentically with sincerity, God will listen. And God's response is not always what we hope for. Right? The Jews who said that they wanted to bring the carbon Pesach that day, they couldn't. That's the rule. But God gave them something else, another opportunity one month later. So even if the answer is not exactly what we're looking for, God responds in ways that are ultimately in our best interest. And if you think of the story that occurred on the first anniversary of the exodus from Egypt, it's deep in the book of Bamidbar. Why was it not covered earlier? Why is it, so to say, out of order? And there are several answers. But one answer that Rashi explains is that this is a shameful saga for the Jews. So God wanted to delay the telling of this embarrassing story. What's so disgraceful about this story? The fact that this was only the only instance in all the years that they were able to bring the carbon Pesach in the desert. Now you think, why is that disgraceful? What did they do wrong? Was it not God who decided that they wouldn't bring it? But the answer is that if we learn anything from this story, it is that if Jews would have banded together and demand and plead with God for other opportunities, we see like carbon Pesach, the fact God would have provided them that opportunity. The fact that they didn't request it, that we don't see any recording in the Torah, that they asked for it, that, Rashi tells us, is disgraceful. And once again, I think we could take a lesson for our times about the importance of pleading with God, that God should end our suffering and our hardship. In fact, we should go all the way and don't just ask God to end the coronavirus. Ask God for Mashiach. That will be the solution to all our problems. And this story teaches us that we shouldn't limit ourselves to just reasonable requests. That people who demanded a second opportunity to bring the Paschal Lamb, the carbon Pesach, God granted it to them. And so, ask God for all your needs and God will provide. But the best blessing God could give us is Mashiach, which will answer all our prayers. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Salt of Salam, Today we are talking about 
festival of Pesach Sheni. Pesach Sheni is a festival of second chances that is celebrated this evening. And therefore, I think, although it's the only festival in the Torah which were given that makeup date, but we learn from this holiday that it is always possible to correct any missed opportunities, to rectify any misdeeds, as the previous Rebbe, and it's highlighted in the Hayom Yom for tomorrow, the 14th of ER, he says, it's never too late. That's our motto at our Chabad Seniors programs. It's never too late to connect. And, you know, the, 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 the holiday tells us that we could always make up. No matter what we've done wrong, it's never too late to make it up for God. God gave us this beautiful gift called Teshuva. And it enables us the opportunity to rectify whatever mistakes we've made. Imagine someone is imprisoned and locked behind bars, except that the warden placed the key in the prisoner's back pocket. All he has to do is to just reach into his pocket and pull out the key, unlock the door. Is he really truly a prisoner? You would have to say that the guy obviously is not. He might be in prison as long as he chooses to be there. But by definition, he's there by choice. But there's one important caveat. He needs to know that he has the key in his pocket. He needs to know how to use the key. The Torah informs us that we have the key in our pocket. The story of Pesach Sheni is a clarion call to every one of us. Whatever opportunities we may have missed, don't give up. Don't despair. You have another chance. All you need to do is reach out to God. We can't go back and light the Hanukkah candles after Hanukkah. We can't eat the matzahs after Pesach. But God gives us this opportunity. And this is called Teshuvah, that we have a chance to make up lost opportunities, whether it is, you know, Teshuvah, I discussed many times, the steps of Teshuvah, which is obviously identifying what we've done wrong, regretting our failures. And then it's a, it is a hachlata, a resolving to never repeat it, a resolution. But that is the idea of teshuva. But in our short time remaining, I think the message I'd like to highlight is that it is never too late. You could always make up for, you think about our Chabad seniors programs, we give people the chance to make up for lost opportunities in the past. And anyone who wants to discuss with us how, just give us a call here at Chabad House and we'll help you out. I think the message of Pesach Shani is exactly this. And it tells us if a person is distant from the temple, person's far away. That was one of the details described in the Torah. Well, what does it mean far away? Far away could mean geographically, but far away could also mean maybe we were distant spiritually. You know, I'm doing my master's course and at the moment sometimes you know, if you don't make up a, a, a date to take a particular exam or to submit an essay, there's complications. And sometimes a person might say they didn't submit their papers on time, 
for whatever reason, laziness or who knows what, it's much easier to make up with God. God gives us the opportunity. And here is the message for each one of us today. That as long as we want to be attached to Hashem, regardless of the past, God gives us the opportunity to do so. And you could think about whether it's our social or emotional failures. If we had a fallout with a relative, if we haven't talked with someone in a while, if some maybe, maybe suffered an addiction, finding it difficult to break away from their negative cycle. Don't give up. Don't despair. God says it's never too late. You could always reconnect. And I think that is an important and powerful lesson we all have to take from this holiday called Pesach Sheni. Is that every one of us has the opportunity to make up for whatever it was that we didn't have a chance to in the past. And that's why I want to conclude today by sharing with you some of the ways that you could connect with your Judaism and realize it's never too late to connect. Connect with your Judaism. Learn about the significance of each of our holidays. Tune into our Chabad seniors Zoom groups where we have daily shiurim going on. It's never too late to connect with your Judaism. If you aren't celebrating Shabbos, now is a perfect time to. So easy during lockdown, during quarantine. If you need a Shabbos packet, we at Chabad are distributing Shabbos packets to senior citizens. If you want to be part of this, just reach out to me and we'll let you know how you can do so. It's never too late to connect with your community. Today, shul is in your house. Seize the opportunity to turn your home into a shul. You can celebrate Shabbos with your family or even by yourself. If you need guidance, touch base. We'll help you out. Connect with your family. If you want to learn, if you want guidance how to use your Skype or Zoom or whatever technical tutoring you might need, it's part of what we do at our Chabad Seniors Program. We call it Smile on Seniors. And now more than ever, we are able to help seniors. And I want to say to the rest of the community, you can adopt a senior. I could give you the phone number of two seniors who are lonely, and you could just call them once, twice a week, see how they're doing. We have a list of 3,000 seniors in our community, and every single one of them will be touched by this program of Smile on seniors, SOS for short. So join us and remember the message for every single one of us, for you, for me, for everybody. The message of Pesach Shemi that we celebrate tonight is it's never too late. So eat some matzah tonight, symbolize that, and remember the message for yourself and for everyone else. Carpe diem. Seize the moment.